Welcome to our brand new show It's not that complicated so listen close We'll go through IMDB Reviewing all of Tom Hanks movies Hanks Bank, Hanks Bank Hanks Bank, Hanks Bank Hanks Bank, Hanks Bank Hanks Bank Recording? Ah, fuck I'm recording too Right, have you you got something? I might just keep this in instead. Hmm. I mean, this is, you know, it's a good bit. It's a good... Jamie, <laughs> we're loose this week, all right, baby? We're <laughs> loose this week, all right? Normally, normally it's really high stakes, but obviously no. with a film as, uh, you know, profound and with so much comically to talk about as uh, extremely loud and incredibly close, uh, we begin this week loosey-goosey, all right? We stretched <laughs> off our comedic muscles. We've, uh, we've stripped down to our bare undies. We've oiled up. Uh, ready to to engage and uh, lubricate the minds of our dear listeners. After last week, where you, we literally had a scripted opening segment, could we get more opposite with me just going, I might keep this in, and you immediately going, okay, podcast voice it is, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually have anything? Like, I'll, I'll still give you the opportunity to potentially sure. not include this if you actually okay, have something. Okay. I mean, the important thing to I mean, know, Jamie, I is probably that, will still one, I never this. have anything. Yeah. Unless I've written a script, I never have anything. <laughs> um, I do have something I need to say to get out uh, at the beginning of the show. Okay. Uh, to set my friends' thoughts. Uh, okay. But more importantly, it's me getting cancelled. Oh, uh, good. Which is, which is fair, which is fair. I made an error uh, in last week's episode, and I need to rectify this now. Um, it's, it's something which I've uh, long made mistakes about, and it's... I. The time has finally come for uh, my mistakes to be rectified and for, like I said, me to be cancelled. Uh, this I say that jokingly. This is something I do need to apologise for. In last week's episode, um, I said that there were 18th generation uh, Italian-American immigrants. Uh, as a uh, famous Italian-American friend of the show, Ben Bonsi, uh, pointed out to me, that's impossible. Uh, one <laughs> sec. The exact description was, um, there are no 18th generation Italian-Americans. Before 1880, there were like 25,000 Italians in the whole country. Then like 4 million came in 40 years, half that in one decade. Italian uh, immigration became heavily heavily regulated, and Italians were regularly accused of being wops, without papers or illegal immigrants. The German, English, and Irish populations are significantly older. The former make up the wasp population you set aside, but the Irish have been set around for a long time, and they still feel their ancestry strongly, which you see every St. Patrick's Day. Now, if that doesn't seem in context, I was also <laughs> confused at the mistake I had made. Uh, in talking about my big fat Greek wedding during Mary Graham, <laughs> yeah. I mentioned that everyone who's an immigrant, except for wasps, and then I also set aside uh, Italian-Americans, feels like the film applies to them. I basically put Italian-American immigrants in the same category as wasps, and uh, that's not fair. Yeah, as it turns out, that that's wrong. So I apologise to the people of uh, Italian-America, um, of America, who are of Italian descent. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, and, you know, I've learned my lesson. Uh, I appreciate your culture. Thank you. Uh, dear listeners, um, if you uh, equally... Uh, did not understand that like I did. Uh, welcome to the club. And also, hello and welcome to Hanks Bank, the show where we chronologically review Tom Hanks' entire IMDb. I'm Jamie Loxon and with me as always is my co-host Al Gillespie. Say hello, Al. Hello, oh. Al. 
Okay. <laughs> you were too. You know how long that intro is. I say this thing, the same thing, every single time, and you thought I've got enough time to pour my coffee. This is the perfect no, time. No. That thing that he says the exact same way and lasts eight seconds every single time. Now's the time to pour my coffee, which definitely is going to take longer than eight seconds. Okay, two things. Uh, one, I'm not a psychopath. I don't know exactly how long your thing takes. So I'm glad you timed it to eight seconds. Well done. I will know that for the future. Uh, two, I know you have to say it every week. Jamie, every week I need something original to say. I could just say hello, Al, now, which I do regularly. But sometimes I think, <laughs> is there a joke I can put in here? And you know what? I struggle finding the joke most weeks. Yeah, so I yeah, settle on just saying hello, Al. The the sort of the three parts of this show that I would say um, have now become your defined parts are coming up with something for mm. the cold open, coming up with something for after yeah. I say say hello Al, and coming up with something for the very end where I say uh, that's one more ep in the bank, and every mm. single time you've set yourself as someone who has admitted in the past that he's not the greatest improviser of all time you've set yourself up three tasks every time Mm. that you know you're going to have to improvise in the moment you're really not playing to your own skill set here alexander here's here's my thing when uh vancouver finishes reopening and we're in stage three now not sure what stage the uk is in but we're in stage three it's a good stage i like this stage it's sunny you know there's lots of sunshine i get some ice cream sometimes Always good. Uh, I'm going to start joining an improv class. And the quality <laughs> of this bit will improve significantly, all right? I'm going to invest my time and money into making sure this podcast is the best it possibly can be by improving myself. Um, it's a complete uh, tangential point and literally has nothing to do with anything. Uh, but you mentioned the word sunshine and I immediately played in my head the song sunshine, lollipops and rainbows. And then I immediately realized something about that, that that's a super cheery, fun song. But it does mention rainbows, which inherently suggests that it has been pissing down with rain very recently. So I feel like that is not as fun as they think it is. What are your thoughts? Um, one, I think that's the most depressing reading of that song that anyone has ever made. <laughs> Two, I think some people might argue that the existence of happiness relies to some extent on the existence of uh, sorrow and that you can't have rainbows without rain. That's that's inherent to the nature of the thing. Like the good times come following the bad. And if everything was good, all the this is a flawed argument. And I you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously you can experience joy without experiencing suffering. So what, what you're going, what you're extent, saying, what you're saying, Alexander, is that the post coronavirus just elation that the world is apparently going to experience is going to overwhelmingly uh, dissipate the the crippling depression that we've been in for many months is that Um, what is that the promise you are making to our dear listeners right now that their lives will actually be better post coronavirus no you know what you cannot take that to the bank all right if anyone jamie you're putting words in my mouth okay very specifically uh i believe that you know, that that inherent to life is some amount of suffering, and because of that, we expi- we can appreciate joy for as much as it is. But joy can also exist independent of, and is not direct. It's not like you put in X amount of suffering and you get X amount of joy back. <laughs> it's just that life is a roller coaster, baby. You just gotta ride it. Um, I'm I'm 
I would like to say that that's perhaps the most profound thing that uh, that has ever been said on this podcast. However, it is a realization that I'm fairly sure the character Butters on South Park has mm. in around 2004. So if the level of profoundness we have reached is the writing of Matt Parker and Trey Stone, I'm not sure it might be the other way around. I don't. Re- I think it's uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Either way, we should be shooting a little bit higher. <laughs> Here's, here's my thing, Jamie, all right? Do we have a successful multi-billion dollar musical uh, currently? Well, not currently, but formerly being in both the West End <laughs> and many other countries? No, all right? Uh, uh, I would like to amend that to not yet. That's true, yeah, Come Jamie. on, we've got it. We've got, we are aiming high on this <laughs> podcast. A, and I'm going to say true, that we sure. don't have a multi-billion dollar musical yet. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Uh, and I think this is important. Um you know, like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, we don't have any musical ability, so we too can subcontract people out to write the actual music <laughs> to the show, and we'll just write the words. It's cool. And of course, we will use this as the intro on opening night of Hank Spank the Musical. <laughs> Hank Spank, uh, but... we spank Hanks. Um... <laughs> no, no, Alexander, we have always yes. explicitly said we're not going to <laughs> openly talk about how sexual our podcast name is. It is, oh. it is out there, everyone knows it, but we don't don't talk about it we do talk about tom hanks though that's of course what we talk about on this podcast but that's not all we talk about of course we talk about aliens and they've come and invaded and uh, we're trying to convince them to join the united states of space and we're trying to prove humanity's worth and we're doing that by showing the collection of tom hanks films that we deem humanity save worthy they d- mm. worthy of saving humanity up. whatever i lost sure. steam there i basically didn't want to do the whole aliens things this week because uh, i want to Aww. get weirdly i want to get to the movie as soon as possible and normally that means uh, i want to talk about this film uh but no i really don't and i, I don't want to put it off anymore so i want to get <laughs> yeah. to the point where we have stopped wow. talking about this film as quickly as possible so there's aliens listen to last week's <laughs> episode if you want to hear about it uh this week we are uh reviewing in, in extremely loud and incredibly close uh, a film mm. from 2011. Uh, mm. Before we get into the historical context of this, we talk a little bit about 2011 itself uh, and a little bit about uh, the film context itself, a little bit behind the scenes. We normally give a little bit of a plot synopsis. Uh, and I'm it? going to... Tr- do you want to do it? Oh. No, 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 no. You seem like you have a bit, so I will... Well, I, I was... Will... <laughs> Thank you for stepping back. <laughs> Finally, he's learning. Um, I don't really have a bit. I was just going to say I'm going to try and be as generous as possible uh, mm-hmm. when yeah. I say this is a film about an autistic kid whose dad dies on 9-11. That's about that's it. That's generous. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's as kind that's as I can be to this film. Well, and even so- when I say those sentences, you have to go, really? Well, no, here's, here's my thing, right? We'll get into this, and I think this will. I think I we've talked a little bit about beforehand. It is a sensitive topic, so we would we have talked yes. about basically how best to deal with it. Um, I I know there are lots of people who really love the book, right? I I don't know anyone who like really loves the film. I do know there are book fans. Um, it, but famously and, on this podcast, I can't read. No, uh, that's so true. That's so true. we are never uh, insulting the the literary. Uh, sources of these uh, unless it's the vinci code in which case we will in, uh, directly insult the literary sources yeah but um no we are we are directly reviewing the film uh that's true we know yeah. that uh, both the film and the book deal with uh, a very sensitive topic of course being 9-11 sure. uh but the film is also dumb and real dumb mm. and bad and wrong and really stupid so we are going to make fun of it, it uh and also 
in ways good, but also another like it's it's a complex it's a really complicated mess. Like it's, yes, it's which we will try and unpick as, be- as best we can do. Yes, uh, we will. But say we are still front, a comedy podcast, so that, we are going true. to make jokes. But carry but on. and very importantly, um, none of our jokes are meant to the expense of anyone involved in nine eleven. Um, we are talking about a fictitious portrayal of that and a fictitious world in which people have been affected by it. There are times where we, we may make fun of some of the characters that is not us saying by any stretch of the imagination that <laughs> if you suffered a loss in 9-11 or even just if you suffered the trauma of like witnessing and being alive during the period of 9-11, which we both did and we probably will talk about to some extent, like we're not making fun of any of that, all right? Yes, Terrible things I, happen. I but, think as, but as we go through, uh, it will become abundantly clear that our mocking of this film's treatment of the topic of 9-11 is yeah. inherently because we treat it with yes, more respect, respect than this fucking film does. That's, uh, anyway, that's, 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 that's the first time we've ever had a fucking disclaimer on this podcast. Um, so, uh, Jamie, I already got cancelled at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> there was that one time I made the joke about Jade Goody. Oh Jade my God, Goody. stop bringing it uh, up. <laughs> I didn't get cancelled. I cancelled myself on that one. Uh, uh, and, you know, very importantly, you know, uh, I'm not sure I reiterated enough. Uh, Italian Americans, you're great. <laughs> um, so let's get into uh, the usual structure of this show. Uh, of course, I'm hoping uh, we have once again not checked in about who does uh, historical and shows. So oh, I'm hoping that, that yeah. this week Al has I, remembered that he is historical context. Yes. Uh, Jamie, okay, I, I even went a step forward because I knew that. We did two films in 2011, and therefore I went back and listened to your bits of the show so I could try and make sure I don't explicitly just reference the same facts. Fantastic. Then, well, Jamie, you missed out a decent amount of stuff, all right? Well, you know yes, that's because I did the first you know half didn't? of 2011. That's the point. That's I left you that's the second true. half. That's the entire two, point. There were, some, there were some interesting things in the first half, which you also okay. forgot. Like, for instance, uh, the uh, earthquakes and tsunami in uh, Japan, which led to the meltdown of the Fukushima power plant. Okay, okay, fair, fair enough. That is a pretty big cultural touch point. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the point the point of the historical context is to make people remember what life was like at that time. I was about to once again say we don't need to mention all the depressing shit, but I will accept that that is a decent cultural touch point that a lot of people will remember. So yeah. I will I will not um, criticize you for bringing up a depressing I, event. There are here's the thing. There are some more culturally depressing moments. I will mention them including the death of Steve Jobs. Why? Why are you uh, the English? You know what? That's only English depressing because happened. it because it created about nine different Steve Jobs biopics, and only one That's of them's true. good. Who thought Ashton Kutcher had the gravitas to carry that fucking role? We say that Ashton Kutcher looks, and I, I think this is why this movie got made. Looks surprisingly like Steve Jobs as a young man. It is deeply confusing. Um, I have not seen the film. I've seen the poster. And I thought, wow, that looks like a good poster for a film. And you know what? Sure. Um, the English riots happen. Do you remember that? That was a yes, time. Yes. No, I remember. I was at uh, the National Youth Theatre at the time, I believe. Oh. Uh, I don't know why. I just very distinctly connect those two. Uh, yeah, I was doing yeah. my National Youth Theatre course, and I remember them happening because we were on like the outskirts of London. Uh, so I remember thinking, oh, my parents are slightly closer in London. Like, are they going to be affected? Mm. Um, but was there anything they, in... They, but weirdly, they're still alive. So yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You know, my parents did not die in the 2011 riots. The English riots, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where the culture has very much shifted. Where, like, obviously talking now about the kind of protests over George Floyd versus the English riots. I remember even my mum, who's a very left wing person, that first day of the riots in England 
was like scum and then the next day she was like there are social problems that need to be addressed um <laughs> but like the reaction to it was so hor- like looking back on it now it was very very oh bunch of thieves and looters just xyz when yeah. it was started obviously because it, like you know it came born out of a peaceful protest following the uh shoot the kind of the final process uh, in terms of the courts on a shooting of a on our man um outside that king john ill dies that's some fun news yeah come on he's, proud he's dead it's and still death let's be honest mate like we, oh, we're on. gonna be discussing oh, okay, enough okay. fucking death in this podcast that's true that's true come on um uh, you but you took the for the funnest bit is of course that prince william marries Catherine middleton that's yeah, no, fun i already, already got that. that i hit that uh, so we'll talk a little bit about a fun fact well i've got okay. two fun facts about movies all right oh okay, i like okay, movies good. you like movies who doesn't like movies all right one, first year ever, were there three movies that make over a billion dollars? Can you guess them? Uh, in 2011. Uh, wait, so they're not the first three movies to hit a billion dollars. They're the Ooh. It's the first year where three hit. Year to have three movies making over a billion dollars. Yeah, we are going to come across... For someone who hosts a podcast that is ostensibly about films, uh, we are going to come across uh, the fact that I am mm. really bad for when films came out. So I'm going to say some films and I'm, sure. I'm, 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 I, I'm really give not... you a clue. Okay, go for it. That would okay. be very helpful. Are, I, I, would, I was about to say Toy all... Story 3 and sure. I remembered that we already yeah. reviewed that and it was in 2010. Mm. <laughs> they are all um, uh, parts of big series, right? They're not okay, first so... moving anything. Well, it, it, so there'll be something in the Marvel Universe. I'm trying to think 2011 was probably Age of Ultron? No. No? Is it, is it, is it, one, is it one of the Avengers? Is it the first no. Avengers? Surprising. Uh, the first Avengers was in 2012. Ah, oh, so it's pre the first Avengers, so it's... Uh, Iron Man 3? No. Fuck. Um, Iron Man 3 is post-Avengers. Uh, oh, it's uh, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yes. yes. Yeah, go on. Top, top one of the year was Deathly Hallows Part 2. I'll okay. give you the other two. The other two were, um, at number two, it was... Um, See, this is why you write down uh, your oh, fucking no, notes. Yeah, this is true. It's, Transform- it's Transformers, um, I believe, Age of Extinction. No, it's not Age of Extinction. It's one Transformers. Of the, I cannot believe there's a Transformers film that makes a billion dollars. That's crazy. Oh, no. Several of them do. Like oh, most of that, that's that's oh. why there were so many of them is like they made they were billion dollar movies mainly I think because they translate to international markets very well like yeah. you know the giant robots like that's cool everywhere and then the third one was uh, oh Christ it was a uh, parts of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides ah uh, yeah no I would I would have never got those other two no. so I'm happy no. I got one because um, they are only one of them is culturally significant in any way yes. and even. That, like, it's not fun to talk about anymore. Nope, nope, yeah, no. Do you notice how I didn't? Do you notice how I didn't dwell on it? I just said it and I said, yeah, yeah, I got it. And then I moved on. Guys, remember, you all love that and... No one can take that away from you. Um, <laughs> just, just, just stick to that. Uh, the other fun fact is that uh, the Shrek universe became the first animated franchise to uh, make over three billion dollars in total. Huh. There you go. Some yeah, very with, fun. With the release facts. of Puss and Boots in 2011. <laughs> so, so I had we had the light and dark, Jamie. Like, like extremely loud and incredibly close. We had the light and the shade. Now, why don't you tell us about the light and the shade of the production process? <sighs> so yeah, this this film. Based on a book by the same name, but I haven't even written down the, the the guy's name. It's like Sam Fuhr or something like that. 
um, came out in 2005, literally four years after 9-11. Um, I believe he was like 27 at the time that he wrote it. Um, it stars Tom Hanks as uh, the dad, what dies, uh, Sandra Bullock as the mum, Thomas Horn uh, as the kid. Uh, I have a very, very fun fact about the kid uh, that I will come back to. I'm going to oh, leave yes. it as yeah, the yeah. last one sure. because it's going to be a fun ending. Can I quickly yep. say, sorry, the book is written by Jonathan Safran Fur. Fur. I got the fur. I got the F. I it was F U H R. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but yeah, him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have Max von Sydow plays uh, the oh, yeah. uh, an elderly gentleman who is mute. Uh, people might know him because he latterly played uh, the three-eyed raven in Game of Thrones. Uh, he and also then, was in The Exorcist and like a billion other things. He's a yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he's he's an old old actor. He's been in shitloads of stuff. Um, and then uh, the kid on uh, a post uh, to give a little bit more context post. Uh, his father dying goes on an adventure around uh, uh, New York trying to follow clues to find out uh, a key that he's found um, that he think is, thinks his dad has left him. Uh, and in his adventures, he therefore meets a rotating cast of characters, which has a, like it's a pretty decent cast. It's got Viola Davis. It's got John Goodman uh, and it's got uh, Jeffrey Wright. Uh, it's uh, they're written and ad- adapted by Eric Roth, who also adapted Forrest Gump. It's directed by Stephen Doldry. Uh, it makes uh, just fifty-five million dollars on a forty million dollar budget. So yeah, a, a, a profit, but for for uh, a Tom for a Tom Hanks uh, based uh, Tom Hanks led movie uh, that is that is pretty so, pretty poor. And obviously, we have. Um, some listeners of the show who are probably better suited to tell us about this than others. But I believe with movies, they don't include marketing budgets in, in, the, in the stated overall number. budget. Yeah. So it tends to be that it's not a, it, it, it makes its money back. If I think it's, it has to make twice its money to make its money back. Yeah. The, the, um, this is, this is not a successful film not with that. a box office no. of $55 million on a $40 million budget. Um, no. Interestingly in the book, as I mentioned earlier, that this is about uh, an autistic child uh, in the book. There are no references to autism at all. Uh, the, the writer never mm. even had it. It didn't part. He, he has latterly said like, I never wrote it with someone uh, on, on the autistic or on the autism spectrum uh, really? in mind though. Though I, which yeah, is bonkers. Like with the characterize, I haven't read the book. Guess, Maybe the characterization is different in the book. But this kid is heavily, heavily coded uh, to the, to be to be on autistic. the autistic spectrum. Yeah, like yeah. like ridiculously so. I, um, in the, the only, film, the only reason I think that would oh, sorry I, in the film specifically. No, so the only though, I think, yeah, <laughs> you go. No, no, you go. You go. Sorry. Okay. Uh, in the film specifically, they do say that he was tested, but they were inconclusive. So even in the film, it's not necessarily that he's absolute but he is coded like the performance no, and yeah, yeah, like he's, when he's when discussing the film the directors were like yeah we did loads of research into uh into autism uh, so for all intents and purposes in the film the kid is autistic if that is a realistic portrayal of how he's supposed to be in the book then i cannot understand how this guy I... thought that this kid wasn't autistic but so to be fair some of the things some of the takes may make more sense if the or may make sense if you assume the character is suffering from post-traumatic stress. Yeah, so potentially. If it's, so the, the, the tambourine thing, and even the extremely loud and incredibly close name, would make yeah. sense if the kid is suffering from post-traumatic stress as yeah, well. Yeah, the, the, like the, the title is in reference to like overstimulation, like like panic sure. attacky sort of state uh, states that the, the character goes and, into. Yeah, that, and also he's meant to be nine in the book. So he is Yes, two years he's younger, 11 in the film, so nine may, in the book. Maybe that makes sense. 
Yeah. Sure. Um, this is being generous. Yeah. This is being generous to yeah, the Yeah, being generous. Again, film. we haven't read the book. All I can say is in the film, he is very explicitly, clearly supposed to be uh, supposed to be on the spectrum in some yeah, uh, manner. He's, seeming, he's, he's probably meant to have Asperger's. Yes. Um, they had originally hoped to release it on or around the 10th anniversary Christ. of 9-11. Uh, we will get back to why that is fucking disgusting. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. a fun fact. Um, uh, it had originally, since its announcement, been considered like awards bait. Like everyone was like, when this was announced, oh shit, there's yeah. there's, there's something that's gunning for awards. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. But upon release, it was critically panned. Uh, it received no that? nominations at the BAFTAs, the Golden uh, Globes or the SAGs. But it did get a nomination yeah. for Best Picture. Uh, which was very controversial and has been called by some uh, the worst Best Picture nominated of all time. In fact, it is the only film of all time to have a rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes and still be nominated for Best Picture. It has a rating of 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is the lowest rated, widely reviewed Best Picture nomination of all time. really important to know. Uh, I remember having an argument with um, being in university, having this argument where someone was saying, ah, the Oscars, you know, it's an indicator for good quality, right? And the Oscars can be an indicator for good quality. And if if you're only to watch, uh, what, the now the limit is 10 films, I think, but but however many, they can do up to 10 films, I think, for Best Picture, it might be eight. And if you were to only watch those movies in a year, and those are the 10 movies you were going to watch, you just start watching in January <laughs> and you finish whenever, you would get an interesting mix of films, but not inherently the best films of that year. And sometimes they go really wrong, as evidenced by, like, the hatred towards Green Book. Um, mm-hmm. People despise that film. Um, or, like, even a it, fucking Crash winning uh, winning Best Picture in, like, sure. 2004 or and whenever it was. Depending who you ask, and I disagree with this because I like the film, Three Billboards. I like Three Billboards. Oh, I fucking love also, Three Billboards. But, sure. I, but I also understand the controversy behind it, but I loved it. Yeah, but we're also very white, so fair Yes, enough. yeah, so it's not my <laughs> place. Like, I, I, I'm no. not, I, if someone yeah. else wants to dislike that film, feel free and feel free to tell me yeah. that I'm wrong. Um, also, the, the playwright behind that, well, the screenwriter, but the, the director of the movie makes stuff almost, I think, deliberately to piss people off. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that's kind of his shtick, is just pissing people off. Maybe um, I'm misremembering, but hasn't he also written a play about someone who's on the autistic spectrum? Isn't The Pillow Man? Unless I'm uh, misremembering what The Pillow Man is about. Yes, uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so the Pillar Man has a character in it who I believe is meant to be autistic. Yeah, um, I just, think it, it makes no difference. It was just oh, an he also sorry, made his most brain. recent play, which I went. I so uh, the, the quick side note about um, I forget what the director is called, but he's a famous uh, Martin, Mc- Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough, um, and uh, friend of the well, not necessarily friend of the show. He doesn't really listen to the show, but <laughs> f- uh, flatmate of Jamie when Jamie is living in a flat. Uh, Miles loves Martin McDonough, like his favorite playwright. And when he was at university, I went, "Look, it's new plays coming on. You come down. I'm in London. You stay with me. We watch this show." I bought tickets. We went to go see the show. It was a play about a time traveling, um, I think, Sudanese pygmy woman <laughs> who's trapped in a cage, and I think has her hands cut off. Jesus and Christ! Is writing the stories for Hans Christian Andersen, and like that's that's the concept of the show. <laughs> And it was the weirdest and probably worst play I've ever seen. <laughs> and yet, the concept alone made it kind of innately sort of worth watching for a piece of garbage. It was the time. Anyway, let's talk about extremely loud. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've gone on a, such a huge tangent there. I also thought at the beginning of that you were going to say friend of the show, Martin McDonough. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I, I mean, Come he on. doesn't listen to the show, but, you know, friend of the show, Martin McDonough. 
we've got to do. We've got to start reaching out to some of these celebrities in their film. We'll do this on the next version of the show. We'll start reaching out to like people who were in these films being like, do you want to come on the podcast? Like really low down level, like you in one scene with Meryl Streep or whoever. Yeah. Um, um, I do have one final uh, fun fact. It's the, the actual fun fact sure. to, to bring this back to Joy. Uh, they found the kid who stars, uh, that's Thomas Horn, uh, after he had won Kids Week on Jeopardy. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Uh, now let's sure. get into this fucking film, sure. which isn't fun. Um, yeah. I, I, so yeah, so let's the film just... begins, yeah, as, as all, all good, good films, films do, should. Uh, with a uh, autistic child uh, refusing to be at the funeral of his dad and sitting in the car, uh, being grumpy at the fact that there's no one in the box. Why, you ask? Because his dad died in 9-11 and therefore there's nobody. Yep. The box is a so, metaphor. So it's going to come start. up later on. Um, so then we, we flash back. Yes, we're going to power through. The, yeah. Like we're going to try and get through this plot as quickly as possible because, frankly, really, you don't need much to understand this film, and then we can just tear it and, apart. Yeah. Also, the majority of it is like uh, there are characters, and the characters are more important than the actual like. It, yes. Um, plot. So after um, the funeral, sad. uh we hop back, and uh, Tom Hanks is back alive again. Uh, sure. And we learn that basically uh, in order to help his son deal with his condition, yeah. uh, he always sets him like these tasks, like these mysteries to solve. Mm-hmm. And that's how he always helps him uh, through. Sure. And he gives them Tom gives Hanks. him clues. Um, it's specifically the overarching one is about the sixth borough of New York. He yes. says there's a mythical sixth borough of New York that that's never been discovered and, and has washed yeah. away with history. And there's all these clues and you're going to have to find these clues. Yeah. Um, and, and Tom Hanks here, I think for the first time in his film career, I believe playing a Jewish man. Um, Is he? Did I miss well, that? I, he's playing think, Jewish man. So, he, so he's. I've asked Alyssa, who's of course my um, expert reference in all things Jewish. Uh, but he is a New York man whose parents emigrated from Dresden in Germany, um, and works as a jeweler. Which and which isn't of itself like definitive stuff. But I feel. I reckon in this film he's sort of meant to be playing a Jewish guy. I don't know. We'll, we'll, those are stereo- all those are stereotypes which would probably fit into that. I'm not sure that's the way in the book. In the book, it's explicitly his parents um, left or like dealt with Dresden bombings. So I don't know where that would fit in. They basically fled Germany and he works as a jeweler. So is he? I don't know. His characterization feels like that. But, um, we, but you, we would like to say that very specifically that Alyssa, you checked with this was her opinion as well. This is not us yeah, yeah. coming up with well, this. Uh, with this no, idea. no, no. This is not, this is not me. It's, it's also explicitly not on the, like, the text of the film. I, I think it's just like a thing in the background. I, I, normally Tom Hanks plays like, I'm only bringing this up because normally Tom Hanks just plays the most boring white bread American and this time around he's playing someone slightly different to that yeah which is um, sort of interesting too so then about five minutes um, in uh, we get something that will uh, basically form a framework for this film uh, which is yeah. as the kid uh, was coming back from school uh, he played some voicemail messages uh, that turned out to be from Tom Hanks in the fucking Twin oh, yeah, Towers. Yeah. So you know what? You know what? Did you want to hear a dramatization of Tom Hanks fucking like last words dying on 9-11? Because that happens in this fucking film. Um so yeah, mm. the, the kid listens to a few of the um a few of the uh voicemails. He then hides the answering machine. He's like he doesn't sure. want his mum to hear them. We don't hear all of the voicemails at this point. We only hear like one of them. Uh, but he hides the voicemail and then he knocks over a vase while hiding the voicemail. And in that, he finds a key. He decides that his dad has let... This is his last clue, that he has to find out who this key belongs to uh, in order to 
figure out what's going on with his dad. There's a sure. few clear points of him struggling to deal with the concept of his dad dying. He always refers to it as the worst day. He just calls it the worst day on the worst day. He always refers to, um, which is a very common uh, thing for uh, people who suffer from uh, autism. He refers to times very specifically. He says like, oh, and I was at this place at this time and I was doing this and then I did this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of specificity that is clear him struggling with uh, the yeah. stuff. So he goes off on his adventure. He's starting on his adventure. Who's the first man he meets? He finds, uh, he goes to meets the... Oh, he, he meets his grandma first. Yeah, grandma first, well, yeah, then yeah, his yeah. locksmith. Uh, the locksmith is sure. like, the... I don't know. It's well, and, and, but on the on the on the packets is the word black. He's like, yes. who, who's who's black? Also, let's then, let's discuss that. That's a bonkers assumption to make. You see an envelope that says yeah. black on it, and you assume it's a name. Like that's such a fucking weird assumption to make. It could just be the fucking word black. Like, but whatever. He assumes it's a, it, a name. Sure. Happens to be correct. So he goes and looks up, and there's like 252 uh, people with <laughs> people with the surname yeah. black um in in new york so he's gonna go around which it seems low find... seems low yes, the, yes. The, new york's a big city and there's only 250 people with one that like a decently not like a massively common surname but decently common surname he starts going through um yep. we're gonna uh, name he, he basically lied. only viola davis yes viola davis is the only one that actually matters uh she's the first one he meets um uh and she's like clearly going through some sort of relationship troubles. Her, her husband is leaving. Her husband yes. is leaving the house as this happens. He goes up and he's like, "I does this? Do you know my dad? Does this key fit anything? Oh, come on! What, do, do you know my dad?" And Viola Davis is like, "My husband is leaving. Have some sympathy." And the kid's like, "My dad, give me some water, woman. Give me some water." <laughs> and the guy, like Jeffrey Wright, is leaving the house as it's happening. This kid, I understand, is on the spectrum. Sure, but we as the audience are like, poor Viola Davis. Yes. And then the kid's like, well, it doesn't work. I'm going to take a photo of you at your lowest moment as a yeah, human just being. Yeah, like, like, there's, there's this, and this comes up throughout, where like, and, and I will say that actually, having, having th- worked with um, special education needs kids through, through my job, and, and what, there's, in fact, a one, one specific kid who I've worked with who is, was just shockingly similar to this kid. So overall... Sure. I think this kid's performance is actually yeah. quite good. He is doing sure. a very good performance of someone who is on the spectrum. But the film just mm. shoves this kid in situations that clearly he is unable to handle and thus are just bleak. Like, like as yeah. you say, just shoving this kid in front of a woman who is having her life torn apart and it's just like, I don't want to see that. Like, I understand that maybe no, that's how yeah. this child would react in this situation, but I don't want to fucking see this poor woman no, go through this and have a photo taken. It's quite, it feels cruel. Also, and I think we haven't mentioned this and this is really important to note, the film has maybe the worst use of narration I've seen in a film. And I genuinely felt for the first 30 minutes, I was like, okay, this could be a good film if it got rid of this narration. If it was just like, all this internal dialogue was just internal, we didn't hear it, rather than the way the film actually opens, which is, there are more people alive today than have ever died, but at some point there's going to be more people dead than have ever lived, and therefore we'll start into building giant skyscrapers underneath the oh, world God, yes. of <laughs> dead people. We're going to need yeah. like miles long skyscrapers of dead people. Now, of course, the solution to this would actually just be cremation, rather than just building giant skyscrapers down. This kid is a moron. But okay, <laughs> no problem. Um, sure. So I'm yeah, after, after he meets, episode, but, uh, we, throughout we've also got him like lying to his mum and saying like, "Oh, he's just out to to visit friends or whatever." Yeah. The kid and like struggles like, to be outside. It's clearly like he's 
clearly st- uh, d- extremely loud too. and incredibly close. He gets um, gets panicky around like loud noises and yeah. stuff. So there's stuff about him dealing with that. He gets back home. Yeah. His mum is like, "What's going on?" He's like, "Nothing. Leave me alone." Um, we then we have another He's... flashback where yeah, it's I... him hiding under the bed the day of nine eleven. The grandma yeah. comes and visits. He isn't able to talk. The mum comes a visit. And this is, again, another example of like fucking Jesus Christ, how terrible for the other person where she goes, were there any um, messages on the answering machine? And he just goes, no. And like how fucking awful for Sandra Bullock that she doesn't get to hear the this, last well, no, words be, of her goddamn husband. I mean, sure. To be fair, she does have a last conversation with him, which we find out later. So later in the film, yeah. we find out that she did speak to him while he was in the towers I can understand, like, I understand you, like, I would probably want to hear that, but also it would be the single most traumatic thing oh, yeah. you could possibly hear. So, like, I understand why the the, the kid makes the decision to, like, hide the, to hide swap out the, yeah. swap the out answer the machines. And, like, I get why in, a, like, a 10-year-old kid, especially a 10-year-old kid who, like, has some learning difficulties, would struggle with that. Um, uh, so hard skip to he visits like two more people it doesn't really matter they're just two people they speak to sure. him uh, then he tells his mum that he wished she died in 9-11 that happens oh, in this, this is, film yeah well, but again it's a drama right like it's not it's not a comedy it's not a family film it is a drama this is it is to some extent something which like you know you would you have like any any film really about people surviving this to, is going to have to deal with like the emotional ramifications of one person dying in 9-11, right? Like, if one of your parents dies, you're going to have to deal with some extent of, like, the guilt and the stuff around that. I get that. It, it, if you want... It is, it's really the, important the to, the like, only way the I listeners, would, like, The only way I would explain it is this film is unnecessarily bleak. And I don't use the word sad. I use the word but I, bleak. But I, I, I disagree. We'll get into this more later. It... Just because, like the the event itself is is like, it, but we'll get into that. The event because... itself is a horror. Is is sure the event itself is 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 a horror movie, if anything, right? Like, yeah. And therefore, we are dealing with the like, what if at the end of Get Out, the character spent the next three years in therapy, like, which is basically this, and that like, it's well, except the kid the... doesn't go to therapy, and this kid should go to therapy. Someone yeah, should the kid take should this therapy, kid to therapy, and, it, and again, that would be the we'll solution get... to this film. Sure. Take this no kid to therapy. No spoilers. Also, no one is no one is with the kid for a lot of this film. Like no. spoilers, but no, no no spoilers. But but it's fucked up. Anyway, yeah. at some point, he finds out that is well, he knew for a while, uh, like a couple months after nine eleven, his grandma who lives across the street took in a lodger, and very importantly, he's never been allowed to talk to the lodger. He's never been allowed to look at the lodger. He kind of sees him through the window sometimes with his binoculars. He loves his binoculars. And, like, again, sure. But eventually he meets... He he needs to go... For some reason, he needs to go find his grandma. Can't find his grandma. Sees the lodger. And he... Oh, God. In, in, I think, my least favorite bit of the movie. Because the... um, He kind of unloads all his story you know he's he, however many blacks he's talked to him by blacks i mean people yes yes i avoided that earlier I know, people with yeah, the surname I, I, black <laughs> i know i know so far i have referenced italian americans uh tom hanks i think being a jewish person but i'm probably stereotyping very heavily so sorry for like apologies if i'm wrong and also blacks meaning but not, yes but yes not, uh, yeah i no, avoided it earlier alexander oh, but like people with the surname Jones, black i know I know, people are so black and not like I'm not being this is no, such it's a fine. hard I, film to talk about and be funny <laughs> um, also so, <laughs> so like, yes sure. so 
and he unloads. He unloads all the stories he's heard. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, and, I, and how he's he's basically going yeah. through a, a panic oh, attack yeah. or a manic episode. And also, sorry, the rent the renter is uh, Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow cannot talk. He he writes stuff down on paper, and he has like tattooed on his hands, yes and no. It seems weird that it's yes and no considering he's German, but sure. <laughs> like, I guess he was in. I guess he got the tattoos when he was in America rather than in Germany, because otherwise it'd be like nine and ya, which would be kind of confusing for an American <laughs> kid. But sure. Uh. Um, Max von Sydow was like bugger off. Uh, yeah, you're annoying yeah, kid. Cause, cause, but I'll go. I'll go traveling with you. Screen, I'll go like yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Yeah, it's, the kid's being a bit crap. Yeah, the kid is also like, and again, in a way which to some extent makes sense. Like the, if, for a kid on the spectrum, and I would be interested to see how they did it in the book. But the kid is obsessed with details, which people who are maybe slightly more neuro uh, neurotypical would just not mention right like he keeps being like why can't you talk why can't you talk why can't you talk where are your parents xyz yeah this max this, this goes this on his travels yeah him. yeah this i'd like we'll get back to it but this old man gets treated like fucking shit throughout this yeah, whole movie really i feel important. so bad for this man they travel around together it's kind of cute max and, and it's important that i mention it here Max von Sydow is really, really, really bloody good in this performance. Oh, he's so good. Like, he's really good. And if the film should have been nominated for an Academy Award, and I don't think it should have, I... I, th- I think he, he does... He, for a lot of Academy Awards. He, 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 he gets he nominated for... Support, he gets nominated for Support yeah. Actor. Um, and it's, it's entirely for a character that doesn't say any words. Yeah, doesn't say any words. It's great. But it's it's physically great. There are things I love about it. I, like, I love that Tom Hanks' character has a lot of the physical characterizations of his dad. Yeah. Even though they haven't, like, the shoulder... <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. This guy is uh, this oh. kid's granddad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's um, that, that's how it turns out. Um, there's a scene, basically, where, like, the, again, they are continuing to find people with a surname blank. That's a much better way to refer to it. Um, <laughs> and, like, at some point, he's just... A, he, the kid just keeps being like, why can't you talk? Why can't you talk? And you're like, sure. And eventually, Max von Sydow, like, writes down... Like, his story, and his story is, he was, and I, I don't know how old he was meant to be during this, but effectively he witnessed his parents die during the firebombing in Dresden, which, so maybe they're not Jewish, I don't know, but like, and... Yeah, it, it, cause, because fact, basically the, the kid has very specifically gone, I did research, turns out people can't, people not being able to speak is not a thing, unless you have your, uh, your throat slit, or like, uh, then it's just a psychological goes, thing, so you're choosing not to speak, tell me why, old well, man! He, he does also <laughs> say, and I, this slightly comes back to the plot, but like, it could also be that like, there was a time which uh, you could develop a psychological trauma from like there was a time where you should have spoke or you did speak and something terrible happened from you developed a psychological trauma from there that doesn't happen it is just that he witnesses the like awful death of his parents during the firebombing in uh dresden um and but you know what fair enough that's absolutely terrible yeah uh, uh let's get to the next fucking depressing bleak thing that happens in this film uh we should say also oh, um oh sorry there's uh, also a great line so just to say there's a really good line where, where he goes like you know, I don't like talking about this and I wouldn't have asked, like, I don't force you to talk about your Yeah, trauma, yeah, yeah. There are some things I don't ask you about. Maybe you shouldn't ask me about them. Um, yeah. uh, throughout this, we also continually get flashbacks. Uh, I want to bring this in now. Uh, yeah. Tom Hanks is a mythically good dad in this film. Like, the flashbacks sure. make him out to be, quite literally, the greatest father that has ever existed. Well, like, whoa, 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 you say that. 
but he tries to force his kid to go on the swings. All right, <laughs> he tries to make this kid go on the swings, Jamie. Yes, there is and when one. When his kid doesn't go on the swings, he goes fine and swings the swings aggressively. <laughs> okay, um, there is so one. There is one moment. Um, uh, there is one moment where he's uh, frustrated yeah. that his uh, kid. Okay, the next depressing bleak sure. thing. He takes the old man oh, back God. to his house and he shows oh, him God. a pixelated picture. What is this picture of? A man falling out of the twin towers. He ma- zooms in man. on it like f- a fucking CSI a enhanced. A real man. Yeah. A, a, re- that, a real man ju- like either fell or jumped. We don't know from the twin towers, and there is a famous photo of it. And again, I think this works better in a book because a book is not a visual medium and therefore we don't have to actually look at the man who jumped and died. Yes. And yet we do. Yes. And, and he's this... zoomed in and he's got it pixelated and he goes, I think that's my dad. Like, And then he, there's, there is a line where he says, I, I reckon all the kids think it's their, their dad. dad. Yeah. And that's e- a good line. That is a good this, line. It does not Either way, justify, it, it is, does not justify. Does not justify showing that image. That is a like and there are throughout earlier in the film i think we see sandra bullock on the phone staring at like smoking towers like yeah. there, there is all and, that, and like real news footage appears all the way through in the flashbacks because the kind of the moment itself of the worst day of 9-11 plays out not in real time but like almost throughout it he shows the photos he's, he kind of goes like i think this is my dad everyone probably thinks it's their dad but yeah, um, I feel, and when you zoom in, he doesn't even look like a human, but I think you can see glasses. And my dad was wearing that kind of clothes that day. Yeah. And then and again, he gets the answering machine out. Oh, great. Yeah. And, this and is... so we, there are, he says that there were six messages and he goes through how he figured out where he was when each me- message happened. So there was one that happened at 8.09 and, and he plays the message. And at this point I was still in school. And then there was one at 9.29 and that happened when I was, a, because I've got a receipt. It was when I was buying something. Yeah. And there was one that happened at 9.43. I figured out that it takes me this long to walk to this point. So I was probably around and, here. And, and then there was this I, one. Sure. When I was in the flat. Sure. And very importantly, there are two things. One, he, he at this point, has decided that Max von Sydow is his grandfather. Yes. Which means he's forcing his grandfather to, like, listen to his abandoned son's last moments on this earth. Yeah. Uh, and, again, and by can... proxy, forcing all of us to do it as well. Uh, so we get to well, the last the last yeah. message. And he says, he says, oh, the last th- this is one of the most one of the most annoying. Like, I got so angry at this point in the film um, where he gets to the last message and he said, oh, yeah, I was I was in the flat. And and throughout this, like Max von Sydow's character has been holding up messages being like, stop, please stop. No. Yeah. And so we've heard five messages. We haven't heard the sixth one, the one that happens while he's in the flat. And then he he doesn't and he doesn't play it. And that's the film going, oh, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know, you sick fucks? Oh, I'm going to make you wait because you're so desperate to find out what this man's last fucking words were. It's fucking disgustingly manipulative. I hate it. I got so angry that this film is like using... A man's last words on fucking 9-11 to be like, oh, here's, here's, a, here's a fucking cliffhanger for you, you fucking well, pricks. God, I will, to, I will now, now calm to, down. It sure. got me so angry. To be, to be overly generous, and I think we'll, we'll talk about this more in particular at the end. Um, to be, and this is overly generous. In universe, it is meant to be that the boy just can't bring himself to do it. Like, like he yes, can't no, I, bring himself I understand, to play. I, I understand I, that. Yeah, I, but sure. you, they've but, no, still made, they've still made the decision to, to, sure. 
and I do that. I agree with you there. I just mean for our listeners, like that's yeah. it's it's not the kids like well, <laughs> it's not, yeah. don't don't you want to listen to your son dying? Oh, you're a terrible father. Now listen to him die. Next you time on for my you saw fun your parents die. Now listen to your son dying. You yeah. have outlived everyone else who's biologically related to you. You were a terrible man. No, he doesn't do that. Uh, right. So yeah, so at happens, this point, Max once said, then is like, leaves. I'm out. I am out, Ski. Psycho I am kids. being traumatized by yeah. this small child. Please, someone help yeah. me escape. Um, Fair enough. Um, he then, he somehow finds a number that's been circled on some fucking newspaper. No, no, no. He, so so the, the, two, sorry, the two things specifically are, one, I think at this point, Max and Sidow's like, goes back to the flat and basically like, leaves the flat. They have an argument. Like, at, he's getting a cab in the nighttime. He's like, why are you going? I know you're my granddad. And he's like, I'm not helping you. I'm making things worse. You need to leave it. You need to stop. Yeah. And the kid just like shouts, I know you were his father. I know he didn't need you. I know he was a better dad because you w- weren't his dad. You're terrible. And again, this poor man has been, th- like, I'm not saying he's a good father. I'm just saying he's been through a lot. And yeah. what he doesn't deserve is having this kid scream at him in the streets of New York. But yeah. sure. Um, sure. At this point, he then goes back to his bed. He goes under his bed and he's like, throw- he's getting really pissed. He thinks the search has ended. They they had Together, they went through a lot of places. Max von Sydow basically said, I think the key will fit a lock somewhere. I don't think that the lock, you will ever find the lock. Yeah. And the kid heads up his bedroom. He's under his bed. He finds at the beginning of the film, we didn't mention this, he kind of uh, found like a newspaper clipping with the words uh, not stop, like circled on it. In red. Oh, I kind of, completely, I com- I completely did not understand. I will be fully honest. At this point, I was so angry. I was not paying as much attention to this film as I should. I will accept that. I did sure. not clock that. That's the point. So yes, I now understand yeah. this. It, it, he thought he circled some words. He turns it over. He's actually circled a number that's on the other side. That yeah. makes sense. There are parts of this where I was like, "How the fuck did this kid word check it out?" But yeah, sure. it's a number on the other side. He calls it, Sorry. and who picks up? And it's Viola Davis. Uh, at I which love point, Viola Davis, she's great. She this is very it's good. Cursed. It's she is very good. Cursed. But at this point, she just goes, "Oh, come on, kid, come on over. Better introduce you to my husband." Um, yeah, my ex-husband now. Like. Yeah, my ex-husband now. So she takes him to meet Jeffrey Wright. Um, they have a little conversation. And he says, "I've got this key." In uh, a good scene. Yeah, it is a good scene. It, Jeffrey it, Wright is a it, but, very but, but, good actor. I enjoy him. Yeah, in this, like, and I, I do think Tom Hanks gives a good performance. But the best performances and the redeeming things of the film are Jeffrey Wright's performance, Max von Sydow's performance. I do yeah. think justify the whole film. Um. um so yeah, they, he and, he's and just like Jeffrey Wright's like Jeffrey Wright is like I've been looking for this key for the last year. My dad died a year ago. Uh, he was given a cancer diagnosis. He you know, had two months to live. He wrote letters to everyone saying everything he wanted and everything he wished. He didn't put that in my letter. In my letter, he said, you know, I've left you this key. I think you'll understand. I left you this something in the vase. Look in the vase. I think you understand. But because he didn't want any of his dad's stuff and they had a bad relationship, he had sold all the stuff before he could bring himself to read the letter. And ever since then, he's been trying to find the key. But he, uh, the, the vase where the key was in, but because 9-11 happened afterwards, you know, he was never able to um, find Tom Hanks in the film. Sure. Okay. Sad. Um, there's a, a bit I like. And then at this point, he goes... The bit I like is he kind of... The wee kid goes... Oscar is like, uh, I need to tell you something. And he basically tells the, he tells the story of the sixth message, which is he was in the... He came back to his apartment. He kind of goes through all the times. He was there while the phone was ringing. He knew it was his dad, and his dad kept saying, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? And he kept doing it for like two minutes, and he couldn't, he, he asked it 17 times, and 
like Oscar feels like his dad knew he was there and he could he, as a 10 year old kid he couldn't bring himself to pick up the phone and to answer his dad's last thing and he asks Jeffrey Wright's character can you forgive me I haven't told anyone this and Jeffrey Wright's character says yeah of course I forget you were 10 you were a 10 year old kid at yeah. the time yes so this will come to why basically we're nearing the end so I will introduce uh, my my thesis statement uh, for this film, which is there is a very interesting story to be told here that needs that does not need to have anything to do with nine eleven. So that's that there. The idea, obviously, within the framework, it like a kid. It's specifically that a guy's calling a nine eleven, but anything to do with like he knows his dad's dying. He's trying to hear his last word. But a kid, especially a kid like that, struggles to deal with those sorts of situations and those sorts of emotions that is a really interesting story you know how they finish that the fucking phone cuts out and the kid turns his head and sees the tower falling that is just too fucking emotionally manipulative that is too fucking it's just it's it's using 9-11 as a plot point when the human exploration is one of a kid who doesn't really understand death having to deal with it. And I think that that is a very interesting story that uses 9-11 as a, as a plot point. And I see that as emotionally manipulative and just unnecessarily harrowing to watch. I will talk more about my feelings later. Cool. Um, so yeah, sure, that's, that's that my thing. I just, I've been done. Yeah, that's that that like that's the, that's the end of the the narrative sort of. There's a little bit more. Um, uh, wait, no, basically he goes back home. My no, 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 least, no that's what I meant. Yeah, then my least favorite goes, part. My least sure. favorite part. Do you know what I'm about to say? He goes back home. Uh, Surely is it you about know. Sandra Bullock. No, it's not about Sandra Bullock. Uh, oh. do you, it's the it's the two and a half second shot. Do you not remember the two and a half second shot where, where uh, so. Ooh. No, so we get uh, we he goes home. And oh he, no! Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Alexander has just figured out what I'm talking about. Um, so uh, we get uh, Oscar going home, and clearly he's very distraught because you know this big journey. He's been looking for answers, and he's found that he doesn't have them. There isn't an answer. His father hasn't left him, so he goes home, and he's tearing everything apart in his bedroom. And during this, we get a two and a half second shot of Tom Hanks flying through the air. As in a dramatization of Tom Hanks jumping out of the Twin Towers. And that is, oh, borderline one of the most offensive things I've ever seen on screen. I, I just, oh, how dare they? How dare they? And like, to the extent where I just burst out, I almost laughed at how absurd it is that there is a dramatization of a man jumping out of the Twin Towers in this goddamn movie. <sighs> then so, Sandra Bullock so comes goes back. back. Then Sandra Bullock comes in, right? And Sandra Bullock's like, basically says, you, and if you've wandered through this entire film, why is this kid tracing through New York with a stranger? Like, basically about, like, his mother's a crap mother. His mother doesn't talk to him about his trauma. Like, his mother has seemingly no interest in helping him process his trauma. Well, turns out, more for you, haha, twist ending. His mum's actually been, like, his mum knew what he was doing. And his mum has been going to every person with the surname Black beforehand. And speaking and making to sure them. that they knew... Yeah he was coming and together and, they go through his journey and i and uh, what i actually quite liked this in a film that i hated across like for most of it i thought this twist was kind of sweet especially because i was ex exactly that situation where i was like why is sandra bullock being like just portrayed as this oh, horrible mother it, it, um it's so it's it's, it's a sweet, sweet 
sweet turn there. I enjoyed it. The the going through and seeing all the community. Sure. And it's it's what I feel this film should have been more about, which is a kid who's struggling to deal with with emotions he doesn't understand and a community rallying around him. And even even if you want to make that a metaphor for New York communally, you know, dealing with uh, the the tragedy that happened to the Trauma, entire yeah. city. Fine, I get that. It's just I don't feel that that's explored enough, and I feel like that they instead just use nine sure, eleven like, like cynically as a plot point. Well, and I will come back to that. Carry on. Sure, and I I would say. Um, <laughs> oh, good. No, I I, 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 I like how I, I messaged you, you last. Sure. I messaged you last night yeah. and was just like, I don't want to have to argue about no, no, the film no, no. about nine eleven. I think I think the important thing is that I don't think we're arguing. I think we come to the same conclusion. I think it's just different levels of how much we like of anger at the film where and like what like sure uh, the, the last thing basically is that he writes letters to everyone he went to go see yeah um including to max von Sydow, and he's like max von Sydow, you should go back and you should go back to my gran um you know you should love each other yeah he wrote he writes uh, a single message this, to everyone that's like oh to all sure. the people who i met and to to yeah. jeffrey wright and to but it's one message for everyone um, yeah. and includes max sure. von Sydow. we then get a shot of sure. max von Sydow returning home his wife like walking past him ignoring him but then putting down the shopping bag and carrying on walking as a sort sure. of symbol of come on then you can come um, um and he goes to the swings which we very very briefly mentioned before um and he kind of he looks under the swings and he finds that his dad had left a note for him um, saying, "Well done. You've been very brave. You know, you, you've you've found the sixth. You've found the last clue for the sixth borough. Um, now it's time to go home." And he goes on the swings, and he wasn't able to go on the swings before. And he can swings high, and his mum, his mum back yes. home. His mum back he's home. Looking his note, he's looking through his notebook the entire time. And I think this makes more sense. <sighs> this is a thing directly from the book. Where at the end of the at the end of the book, there is a. I think there's a line basically saying like, um, "You know, I wish you could make things go in reverse, and if you." looked like you know if you played the if you play the clip of the guy falling out of the building in reverse it looks like he's flying up and being saved and they kind of try and do a version of that where they ah, kind of that yeah that does not read at fucking no, all um no, and so they have a version of it in the book and where like and the end of the, the book and the specifically at the end of the book it's there's a fl- the last few pages i think are like a flip book yes so and he's it, basically it got, in reverse and got it, like a pop-up he's got a pop-up twin tower version of that and sure. like a sliding sliding diagram that shows a man going back into the tower and Sandra Bullock just looks at that and smiles with no like even, like in a film that egregiously overuses its fucking uh voiceover just just have the kids say yeah. that fucking line about oh I wish things could go back because that did not read yeah. at all I was like why the no, fuck no, is Sandra Bullock smiling at this this is so yeah, no, disturbing no, no I agree it, it like is this kid made fans. a and fucking like, pop up of the twins. Like that's fucking. This kid should be in therapy. Everyone, therapy, yeah. everyone, go to therapy. Therapy is great. Go to therapy. Everyone, go to therapy. But especially this kid, go to goddamn no, therapy. Just I, because I, you can now swing on a swing does not mean you're fucking okay. Yeah, I agree. And so that's the end of this. He's like, he, we also says, "I'm." This is a little bit early, but he's also like, "I'm now over the death of my dad." Yeah, I didn't think I'd go on living. I can. My dad would be proud. This is what my dad wanted. Your dad didn't want to die, kid. It's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's talk about let's, this film. Uh, I want to yeah. talk about... I want to give this film some credits before I uh, tear it apart. Sure. Yeah, As I yeah. said to you, this film is technically 
well made i think it's well acted oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. mostly yeah. like i think the, the the supporting characters are really great i genuinely think mm-hmm. this kid does a surprisingly fantastic performance for what is a very difficult performance to do um and and clearly therefore the direction of that has has helped greatly as well so they for what can be a very difficult and very dicey subject of portraying someone uh, on sure. uh, on the spectrum the spectrum like like that they've they've done that really really well and it's a yeah. heartfelt and not offensive portrayal of that so congratulations on that very, i think also very specifically it's not a autism is a superpower movie. no no it's so not it's, it's not it's not a like oh because he's autistic he can see the links and all that kind of crap no like, no he's not he's he's he struggles, just someone he who's hyper specific on yeah, yeah he yeah he's just someone who's yeah. like hyper focused on details and that makes him particularly good at problem solving and that's that's a much more but sure. as you say, they also show the negative aspects of that, which is, yeah, a much better portrayal. Uh, the acting, yeah, Max von Sydow, brilliant. Um, the writing is actually pretty yeah. good. My issue is not with how lines are written. So, yeah, writing, cinematography, acting, all good. My main issue is quite literally just the content. The the literal... Yeah, yeah. Dis- and, and so I've, I've already discussed this, and I will, I will sort of try to wrap this up in in a few ways of why why i got so angry i do not think that you know you shouldn't ever be able to portray 9-11 but i do think that you know especially when the book was written i'm not going to criticize the book but i feel like the book was written pretty soon after 9-11 that's a tough time but even the film was like less than 10 years after 9-11 and i feel like we are not far enough in the distance from that to be able to portray that without it being a traumatic experience and and here's what i said like if if we talk about like needing stories like we need and Mm -hmm. to to portray especially historical events like we might need stories of of world war ii or vietnam or whatever because we don't have those stories we don't have a depiction of those stories we are losing a connection to those stories so having a depiction of them is a great way to connect to those stories you know why we don't need this story? Because most people who are alive right now quite literally have it. They, we have seen, we have heard literal actual people's last phone calls. We have seen all of the. We do not need a dramatization of this story because we literally have the actual stories. And I get that that, I might disagree with myself on that point that that could be taken taken apart and that even though you have a real depiction of that story. But that's... And so my issue with it is, firstly, I don't feel like we need this story. And additionally, that I feel like it is exclusively you. Like, 9-11 is not explored in this. It is used. There is there is no exploration of the very specific, like, pain and suffering that people felt from 9-11. We just see an explosion of a kid who doesn't understand death. And you could easily, easily tell a very interesting story if you completely remove 9-11. And I would much better enjoy this story. And you know what? I, I have one definitive point to point to why I think it's very clear that they were using 9-11. Because they actively wanted to, to release this on the anniversary of 9-11. There you go. Straight ahead, it is being used. And that's what got me so angry. That, that 9-11 in this is not something to be explored. It's not something to to treat with with nuance and it's something to be used to emotionally manipulate its audience and and that just angered me greatly so i'm going to come to the same conclusion as you i will 
So this is not an argument. I will get to that conclusion in a different way, and there may be some disagreements in like how yeah, that's how we feel. Like yeah, I, like I I think um, I think I'm willing to. I, I I'm not so strong in yeah, the, yeah. on a general sense of we sure. can't tell stories that we have real life depictions of. But well, that, that, I just felt like it was relevant for this. So you 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 kind of made the point that um, we don't need this film because we have. Because and it's true and and the reason why unlike Vietnam unlike even to some extent something like the Holocaust uh, like the the power of nine eleven the reason why even though it was you know numerically not that many deaths related to some other like historical awful terrible things is you know compared to coronavirus where where you know over 3000 people die, have, did die in America for several days in a time right where more people have all died why was 911 so traumatic and the reason is because it is a it was a tr- uh, an intense shocking trauma that everyone experienced in real time like yeah. I, the fact that like I can remember it and you were two years older than me so I assume you can probably also remember it like yeah. I remember it being on TV as a kid so it's it's, it's like one of the most documented the traumatic events sure. ever and everyone watched it in real time. Everyone saw the planes coming and hitting, and then they saw the towers falling, and then, in and then everything else is in slow motion afterwards. The firefighters getting cancer, the you know people being missing, people looking for their families, people having to bury empty boxes. Every so fucking war between, we've gone into since sure, then because so of it. Since then, right? And it had a very particular effect. So you're right. It was very well depicted. The re- the, the reason why you would want art about it is to help you process that. Yeah. Because what art, what art does is art synthesizes experience and feeling and it, it it tries to find either meaning or not meaning or or something out of that, right? It tries to make it comprehensible. The, the, the fact that, like, even, like, on a big... You know, like, Lovecraftian horror, right, is, like, about horror that is unintelligible to humans, that there would be these kind of cosmic creatures out there so incomprehensible because they're so beyond our understanding that that it just blows your mind even thinking about it and in many ways art tries to take things which are incomprehensible like 9-11 and it tries to synthesize it in a way that your brain can understand like and in the same way that i right now everyone is going through like a trauma which i don't think we can really comprehend the full scale of what is happening I think so and eventually someone is going to make art about this which will hopefully help people process their own experiences. Yeah. And I, I think the book, to some people, might have done that. I know the book is more well-liked than the film is. The film doesn't do that. No. And for a, and I, I think so for a couple reasons. Like, so... And being more generous to the film, like, I, I think some people wanted to win Oscars. The guy who directed that, I think the film he made before this, the reader, did win a load of Oscars. You know, I... It, I think the studio putting this together wanted to... So as a business decision, I think the studio putting this together wanted to make a, you know, an, a, a serious drama Oscar film which will make them a load of money but also was going to win them some awards, right? They get yeah. acclaimed for it. I think everyone in it genuinely wanted to try and make a piece of art that, including the director, that helped to synthesize you know, those problems and explain those things. And, I just, and it just doesn't do that. No. And I think that ultimately, and like you said, right? Supporting acting is really good. The acting is really good. The score is decent. The cinematography is decent. I even think the directing is decent. I think yeah. the writing is decent. So what is the problem with it? And the problem with it is just that, like, unfortunately, we are, like you said, we are, we are, we are, especially at this time, but even now, we are not at a distance from 9-11 where pop culture, very specifically pop culture, can process it in a way that doesn't feel glib. Yeah. And I think, I think there are ways you could do that. 
I think dance, I think theatre, I think music, to some extent, maybe not, like, I don't know, like, if you want to write an opera about 9-11, I think an opera about 9-11 could possibly, like, you know, give you something from it. And I think a novel could give you something from it. Most importantly, because, because it was a visual event, and novels are inherently non-visual, metaphors in the novel, like the, the uh, like Oscar thinking that his dad was the guy who jumped, feel less exploitative than having to look at a real-life man who jumped or fell from a window and then go, he's fictional. Yeah. Be- because that that is hollow. Because that, you know, because visually that's a real person. Whereas in in written form, that's a rep- that's a representation anyway. That is not the real man. When you write it down, inherently to that, it, it is part of your imagination. And therefore, in your imagination, you don't need to comprehend the fact that a real man fell from a burning tower and probably died before he hit the floor. And the, fi- the film can't get away from that unfortunately and for me the like the issues with the film are like there i i think to some extent like and I, this is why i get confused when people are like oscar can't comprehend death and I, I think to some extent like he is he as someone who struggles to understand you know sentimentality like other people do and because the film is portrayed as like neurotypicality like he's because he's neurotypical like he says things like dad is dad is cells like why did we bury him when dad is in the dog shit in central park like that's where he is he's not in that box and the whole film is literally a, like it's a metaphor about at the beginning of the film he refuses to look at the bo- the empty box in which his dad was placed underground right as everyone sentiment sentimentally buried their husband their their son their friend their you know their, their lover in the ground in an empty box oscar can't bring himself to look at that and the mm. entire film is him going around new york with a key trying to find a box in which he could find something his father left him he feels and at the end he decides that he can't jeffrey wright offers it. it's, it's a it's a character choice right jeffrey wright says why don't we go open the box together and we can share what's inside and oscar realizes that he can't open the box because his dad is dead because there is nothing in the box for him and that he needs to be okay with burying that box. If and that's, that's the central metaphor of the thing, right? Closed boxes, people wanting to open them and he can't. And he comes to the realization, the film comes to the realization that, you know, there is no meaning. Or, but I think more than just the no meaning, it comes to the thing that like, you need to bury your dead is for me the central metaphor. More so than the, the meaning of 9-11 is there, there is no meaning to these things. They just happen. And I feel that, as you, you said, you've, you've made the point that you feel that the film could have used as 9-11 as an exploited thing about that. Yeah. And I feel that's a very specific thing to 9-11 because it's, it's a, if you, if you go with that film, that part of the metaphor, it is about burying people in empty boxes. And that is, a, that is, for me, a very specific metaphor to 9-11. There are 3,000 people, and most of them never had a body to put in the ground because they were ash. Um, and that's that's really strong. That, that, that sort of works for me. But because of the pop culture nature of it, because it feels glib, because, it, because it's... And I, I cry at everything. I really do cry at everything. You know this about <laughs> yes, me. Everyone who listens to the show knows this about me. But it didn't work emotionally for me. Partly because in the places where it, I think it should go more for the, the gut, where it should go more for like, not necessarily sadness, not necessarily anger, but horror, it doesn't go for horror. And it shies, it shies away from the, the full extent of trauma that I think would make this a better drama. 
and it struggles with the sent and it struggles with sentimentality. And it str- it's, the film itself is looking for meaning, and the film itself knows there is no meaning, but it continues to try and find those things rather than, you know, like you said, like exploring the community aspect, exploring you know the, the re- New York rebuilding itself. People yeah, rebuilding that, like that would be a way the, more interesting story. Yeah. The, the fact the fact that like to some extent for Oscar, it, it, it for everyone in New York, it was simultaneously it's simultaneously a shared trauma. And also for some people, an incredibly individually personal trauma. You know, the, the fact that like not everyone on 9-11 in New York lost someone. And not everyone in America lost someone. But Oscar did. And there are, however many people died, 3,000 people died, more people died. Every one of those people had a family. And there are some people out there who, for what is a general psychic trauma, was an intensely personal thing. And it's a... The, the film is not... Pop culture, and it, it will, like you said, it will one day. Pop culture, one day, will. Uh, uh, there's a very good video out there, a couple of videos by Lindsay Ellis, talking about cultural depictions of 9-11, right? And I would recommend watching it. But it does talk about uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Uh, I think she's slightly more generous, not generous, but she's slightly more warmer in feeling towards it than we are. But one day, pop culture will be able to make a depiction of this, where the glibness and all these problems we have now will be less of a problem. And that's because most people... Who, who were alive at the time will either be dead or because the people who are alive at the time it will be so long in the past that it itself feels like fiction but for so many people right now it is such a specific emotional thing that to make a film about it I think you'd have you'd have to be like like an art house director you couldn't what you couldn't be is like a, a I make dramas for the widest audience possible because it loses the specificity that is needed to work for people who lived through that period. Yeah, like I... And it, because I, it is so unspecific, it struggles too much. And, I thought, and therefore, like, the film fails. I thought about this, like, directly when I was, like, the, the voicemails or whatever. There, there would be a non-insignificant amount of people living in America in 2011 who might have gone into this film thinking, oh... You know, I you know I lived through this. I I lost someone in this, but maybe this film will help me. And they quite literally had to relive some of the most traumatic experiences of their life. Like but, someone might have had to re like there are real people who had to sure. listen to voicemails but, from from no, loved ones. Or but th- or, this is this is where I disagree because a that's in theory where catharsis is useful for right. Like that that's the point of catharsis and why and uh, this actually you've helped me sum up my, my feelings better. This film fails in catharsis. If it fails in cathartic feeling, it fails in depiction of the trauma. But like there are people who survived the Holocaust who watched Schindler's List, um, and and have had to watch Holocaust movies for a very long time, and just because they have to relive that suffering doesn't innately make the art itself unvalid. The issue is that. I feel, and maybe if it has, if it did actually help anyone, then like that's great. I think my issue is that the sentimentality, the, the and it is really largely the voiceover for me. The, the voiceover, try like I, I really struggle. I think without the voiceover, I think at least it kind of is a more contemplative film. But because it lacks the specificity, because it lacks like because it shies away from some things and doesn't shy away from other things. And the, the I agree that sick, the messages become all the more horrific. And yeah, I, I, so I, I agree with you, but I don't agree with the idea that like 
art is innately wrong for depicting awful things because because art has always done that but i don't think it yeah i'm not saying that it art shouldn't depict horrible things i'm saying that this movie specifically shouldn't depict something that it is clearly trying to incapable use as an opportunity to be like oh this will this will be a it is not it is not as you say using this film as a cathartic experience it is not making this film because they're like oh we might help people in making this they're making this film because like oh fuck yeah we might make people cry we might make shit loads of money like it's it's, yeah so yeah and and i disagree because i feel like i think a studio might think that i don't think anyone i I do genuinely don't think anyone involved in the actual production of the film like i don't need anything actors or anything director all that i don't think felt that way i'm not giving this i just think they were in a Sure, sure. I, I, I just think that they were inequipped to deal with, up until now, the definitive trauma of 20 years. And the, uh, it, it's in a pop culture way. I think write an opera about it. I think an opera would be better. I think an opera about 9-11 would be, you know, a, a dance. Like, if you're a ballet company, I think you could do it better because of the non-literal representative ways you're doing it. I think it's because specifically the way in which film represents is a literal representation thing is that you're physically showing it you are connecting in 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 the audience's minds images and images and images and images that film struggles in a way which other art forms don't and i and and that's where it fails for me that like i just i i it, it will be a while before there are you know everyone involved has died and for everyone else it's become a story which is depressing but that i mean the past is just a story right like but so that's it, also why it, those stories are more important in those situations because it is no, a way I, to I keep that that well, history it's, going. Sure, and and I would be interested to to think about, and it, it sounds bad, but like for other countries who, have, it's interesting that like the UK has made very little art about seven seven. Yeah. Um, it, the you know other countries have also suffered terrorist events. There are. I'd be interested to look at this in comparison to other countries' responses to acts of mass murder. I have yet, I have to, yet see to see, the, see, see a anyone... French film about Charlie Hebdo, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, this is cribbing from Lindsay Ellis, but like, I think there are Bollywood films which do deal with some, some of this stuff. I, I just think like, I just think film is the wrong medium to process these things even yeah. though it, it feels like the right medium like and it, i think it will again it will one day but unfortunately one day also it you know what like over a thousand people died in titanic and eventually they make a a film which oh, kind <laughs> of deals with get... it, but also deals with like romance right yeah. like and, it, yet, and you know it, it makes a film titanic, that a bunch romance. of 12 year old boys get to see titties for the first time that's how we now deal with titanic <laughs> So, um, what, so what you're saying is that uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close fails because of its lack of boobs. Uh, oh, well, uh, I would like that uh, brings me on very uh, lightly as we can lighten <laughs> this podcast back up to uh, a fantastic joke that my uh, my girlfriend made, which was you can tell this uh, film is awards bait because Sandra Bullock isn't hot in it. She, ma- she, has, she has a theory that Sandra Bullock is hot in her poppy films and then they make her not hot in any films where whoa. they are trying to win awards. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, let me tell you something. Okay, not that they make her Bull- not talk, Sandra but they Bullock, try to, they Sandra, try to Sandra Bullock. her. No, no, I completely... You, I, I'm sorry, Ellen, you're wrong. You <laughs> don't want to know why you're wrong? Because Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side, a film which I rewatched 
a while back and does not hold up. Sandra Bullock <laughs> in the blind side can get it, all right? She can get it. Um, uh, Alexander, I would like you to watch uh, the Zoom as you see me uh, putting on uh, something yes. metaphorically here. What do you think I'm doing? The it is my respect. Uh, your cap. Yes, I'm putting on a, a cap. cap. I'm putting on a very specific pack, cap. Uh, I'm putting on my 2011 journalist cap. Uh, writing for a uh, shitty newspaper where I might need to come up with a headline uh, for this uh, mm-hmm. film, which so lends itself to writing headlines uh, mocking this film. Uh, so I've got um, about nine examples here. Uh, extremely loud and incredibly close. More like extremely cloying and incredibly exploitative. <laughs> extremely loud and incredibly close. More like extremely polarizing and incredibly patronizing. <laughs> Extremely loud and incredibly close. More like extremely long and incredibly manipulative. Extremely loud and incredibly close. More like extremely uncomfortable and incredibly unthinkable. Extremely loud and incredibly... We have have four more to go. Oh God. <laughs> extremely loud and incredibly close more like extremely offensive and incredibly dull extremely loud and incredibly close more like extremely saccharine and incredibly tone deaf extremely loud and incredibly close more like extremely wrong and incredibly wrong <laughs> extremely loud and incredibly close more like extremely why did you do this and incredibly oh my god seriously why did you do this and I am done. Here's, here's my thing. Uh, before we go into ratings, which because we talked a lot about this film, but before we go into ratings, I forgot we had to do that. Uh, I've never seen a piece of art provoke such a strong reaction in Jamie <laughs> that, like, I think in and of itself, that might have given the film a bit of merit that it made Jamie, like, feel such, a, like, like, intense emotions. Uh, like, I, at the end I, of the I don't film, think at the end of the to, film, but... Ellen was like, oh, God, you're going to have to spend a second week being angry about a film. And I was like, what film was I angry about last week? I'm so angry about this film that I forgot that I was angry about Larry Crown. Like, Larry Crown is the best film I've ever fucking seen at this point. Um, I would also yeah, like to true. congratulate myself for using the word saccharin in that in one of those. I'm not oh. 100% I've oh. used it correctly, but uh, I'm pretty... Yeah! Sweet. So, yeah. For any new uh, listeners, we don't, don't know. Yeah, we don't mock yeah. the titles of these films normally, and we don't normally talk for about half an hour after doing the plot. Uh, but we break these down into three categories. That is the film itself out of five, uh, occasionally out of about eight. Um, uh, Tom Hanks' performance out of five and the Tom Hanks dick meter. How much of a dick is Tom Hanks' character in this film? Uh, And that is also uh, from a scale of minus five to five. And then we have the binary choice of whether this will go in our Hanks bank. So... We've talked this to death. Uh, I don't think we need to, to do... We can just do a sort of summarising thoughts. Um, sure. Yeah, this film made me really angry. I think I think it should not have used the, the subject matter that it used in the way it used. Having said that, so on that side of things, this is a fucking zero or a one. It's genuinely the most angry I've ever been at, I think, any film or perhaps any piece of art ever. Um, yeah, I think so. But uh, in terms of the technical outside i've already said on the technical outside weight it's a it's a pretty well-made film it's very well acted uh it's very well directed uh so i think i the best i can give it is a two i'm not happy about giving it a two, um, but i'm giving it a two yeah i i i i'm with you in that I struggle with it where like i struggle between a three and a two where um it is a case of a movie with a lot of talented people and a a lot of smart people um, struggling aggressively with a moment they can't rise to. And they make a piece of art that is it's better than Larry Crown. It's better than a lot of films we've seen. And technically, in terms, of, in terms of all the technical aspects, and yet fails 
so much to 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 meet a bigger moment than most of those films try and deal with. Um, so what you're saying, Alexander, they, is you're going to put this on a par with Toy Story three. This is going to get an eight. Let's go, oh, oh, best oh, film oh, ever. So so I, I I will read the the last line of the new, the last paragraph of the New York Times review because I think it sums it up better than we've said. Uh, but it's an impossible role in impossible. Uh, this, uh, an impossible movie that has no reason for being other than as another pop culture palliative for a trauma it can't bear to face. In truth, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close isn't about September 11th. It's about the impulse to drain the day of its specificity and turn it into yet another wellspring of generic emotions. Sadness, well, uh, sadness, loneliness, happiness. This is how kitsch works. It exploits familiar images, be they puppies or babies, or as in the case of this movie, The Twin Towers, and tries to make us feel good, even virtuous, simply about feeling. And yes, you may cry, but when tears are milked as they are here the truer response should be rage so I, I think you're entirely fair and actually yeah like I'll yeah that, that's that's for, for a well-made yeah. movie it's a two like it's 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 a it tries pretty, and it just fails not not to um uh say that we're we're bad at uh i was about to say our job but whatever this fucking is uh but yeah that that guy said basically how i feel way better than way way better than i can um in in that level of yeah it's it's using it for for emotional manipulation and i i like i i will i don't think i specifically said this but uh because i don't huge like i'm not a big crier at sad films i don't hugely enjoy sad films anyway and one of the biggest reasons i don't like sad films is because of just this level of oh this film is just trying to make me cry like i there's just something i disengage with on that emotional manipulation level i don't do that on all sad films but this particularly just really ramped that up to 11 i i also think like i think that's just i think that's a really personal thing because oh yeah so absolutely. conversely I, I i feel that like all films are innately manipulative because they want like i, I feel comedies are manipulative because they want to make you laugh but i don't no, think that's don't, a bad I don't, don't think ruin my comedies no i make i like no, the no, lovely no, lovely uh, giggle giggle but, don't no, make them sound yes. like evil men <laughs> no 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 but, but that's the thing right like i think all art manipulates you and when people and if you're like brecht and you want to devoid art of emotional thing i think you're crazy like i I think i think manipulation is innate to art um so i don't i don't for me personally i don't mind that and actually a film you do like uh saving private ryan or spielberg in general is is accused very aggressively of being being a manipulative director but he's a better director and he does that in a better way and he as much as it is about like spielberg's director deals with like the holocaust or world war ii or you know these big traumatic things he does so in a way which is more appropriate, more fitting, and like, and for something like 9-11, didn't make a 9-11 movie, he made War of the Worlds, which uses a lot of the imagery uh, and a lot of the... Whoa, the, whoa, whoa. He did not make War of the Worlds. He made The Terminal. Thank you very much. The best film ever. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So he made two movies. One was All the Worlds, one was The Terminal. They both dealt with 9-11 different ways. Um, so, so talking about Tom Hanks' performance out of five... You wanted this to be quick and we have failed. I know. Um, so yes, Tom Hanks' performance. Um, I think he's fine. Uh, I think he like he he plays. This is this is the most like Tom. I'll get into this in the Tom Hanks dick meter, and I've sort of referenced. Mm. This is the most Tom Hanks dad we've seen. Like he's just pure dad energy throughout the whole thing. Oh, he yeah. does pretty fine. I thought the same thing. Uh, he's he's three. I give him a three point five. I think he's he's not in enough of the movie to to make such a big, uh, big impact. But yeah, no, I think he's pretty good. I, so conversely, I think 
this is the best Tom Hanks set performance other than Sleeps in Seattle. And actually, I, what I find really interesting is for a lot of this movie, for a lot of Tom Hanks' movies, he doesn't play a father, or if he does play a father, his kids aren't there. Yeah. And it's the first time we see him as an older man being a dad. And I think there's there's just some little wonderful things about his performance. I love the sh- the shoulder shrugginess. I love the there are a lot of I I think really well lived in parts of this character. Which, which I think are brilliant. So I will give him a five in this. I think I oh, do wow. genuinely brilliant. think he's really good in this movie. Not as good as Max von Sydow, but I think he's really good in this movie. I, I don't think I disagree. Well I think he's just I, he's not in it enough for me to have, have sure, for you just to, really sure. just thought about it that much. I also just had the sudden fucking realization, and I can't believe that I didn't notice on this at the beginning. This is the third Tom Hanks film that opens at a fucking grave. We now have three Jeez, Tom Hanks yeah. films, Sleepless in Seattle, Saving Private Ryan, and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. All Tom Hanks films that open, the opening I mean, scene is at a fucking grave. Did Did you also think about how this is the second Tom Hanks film, uh, including Tom Hanks at the top of the Twin Towers? When's he at the top of the Twin Towers? Mazes and Monsters. Oh, fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah. The, the two, oh, mo- you know, least similar movies you could have, both of which seemingly involve people with um, now. You know, now I am, issues, I am but. not saying that we should, that you should use a film like this to make a funny edit. But if 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 there is a video out there of instead of one of the answering machine messages, it's his rant at the top of the Twin Towers in Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> That would be absolutely horrible and no one should ever do that. Uh, uh, So, um, moving on to the Tom Hanks dick meter. How much of a dick is Tom Hanks' character in this film? As I said, I noted on this when I was watching that he is an almost mythically good person in this film. Like, he's he's the greatest dad that has ever, ever lived. Like, every single... Because he's in it so little and the entire point is supposed to be, like, feeling sad about the fact he's dead. Like, every single scene is he's the greatest dad ever. Like, like when he's doing we we skipped over this but there is a flashback to when um he and his son play uh like what what uh, oxymoron karate where like yeah. where like <sighs> and fun. i can't remember any of the the actual oxymorons but like they battle well, it, back and things forth things like accidentally on purpose accidentally yeah. on purpose and they karate chop at each other yeah. and it's like holy shit this is the sweetest thing anyone has ever done yeah. and but yeah I, he's I, like a mythically good dad I, um I also think like that bit like for me is like it's a specificity which I do feel feels true to dads of like I don't know just just the random shit of like your dad mucking around with you and the film does that well it just does very poorly (laughs) yeah you're right Um, the the things which the film does well are nothing to do with 9-11 exactly things which the film does struggles with intensely are the most important bits of the film yes um, so with that, I'm giving him a minus five. He is the great. I don't know if I've given. I've uh, for note, I've given uh, the terminal a minus five because of course I have. Oh, very uh, similar films. Yep. Yeah, um, I gave him when he played Abraham Lincoln in uh, Freedom of History of Us a minus five, uh, and I gave Forrest Gump a minus five. So I did not. I thought this was going to be like my second time doing it. Apparently, I think that Tom Hanks is a saint in many films. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in fact, what, fuck it. He's a minus six. He's a minus six. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> He's better than what all I, of those what have I given? I don't think you've ever. Oh, you have given a minus five. You gave uh, Band of Brothers. 
Oh no! Wait, sorry. No, I'm looking. He at the tortures wrong. people. No, I get. Yeah, no. Sure. You gave him a seven in that. Uh, you gave his performance sure. a minus five in in Band of Brothers. Um, I don't think you've ever gave given a performance. Minus... Of... Oh, because of the torture. Because the torture. Yes, you gave him a performance of minus five. Seems aggressive. You gave, um, uh, you gave him a minus two in Philadelphia, I think, and a minus two in uh, Freedom of History of Us. So you clearly thought that Lincoln is a minor, is on the same level um, as his character in uh, Philadelphia and the same uh, as his character in The Ruttles 2, Can't Buy Me Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> So you've you've got you've got I, Ruttles fan and Abraham yeah, Lincoln yeah. at the same level of dick meter at the moment. I oh I will I'm give sorry you gave five. him a minus five. I will give him minus five. You gave him minus five in Toy Story three. Philadelphia. No Toy Story oh, three. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him a, I'll give him minus five as well. I he's a, like the interesting thing about this podcast is I think we man it's. You think weird... there's anything interesting about this podcast at this point? Well, no, no, no. I, I think we've had a very interesting discussion. and But basically what I say is, like, I think we've struggled with it partly because we have been forced to watch it. Yes. I think the fact that, like, this is not a thing we have come to is a thing that has been put in front of us and we have had to, like, go through. It really changes the experience. And, like... Oh, yeah. No, we... He's, we... he's great in this. He's, he's, you know, he's a good dad. He's a very specifically good dad. Um. Yeah, no, mm. I... <laughs> Not that I'm uh, getting not that I'm getting tired of the podcast or anything, um, but no, very much every week when I look up what we have to watch, like a solid seventy five percent of the time, it's like, we, oh, for yeah. fuck's sake, why do I have to watch this? Um, That's why so, you should do a Nick Cage podcast. You love them all. <laughs> um, um, and is this going in your fucking Hanks bank? Let's get this over with. No, 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 no. no of course it isn't. No. Uh, so when we don't put something in a Hanks bank, uh, we must instead present something to the aliens to uh, satiate them for one more week. Um, so what are you going to present to the aliens uh, to to save humanity for this week? It, uh, Christ. Uh, you know, I should just write something down at the beginning of this thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's almost like we, should, we know that we, we, we knew 100% an hour and a half ago that we were not going to put this in our hands bank. Did we think about anything? No, we did not. And I can't put fried chicken in for a third time. That's true. That's true. Oh, jeez. Okay, right, like, no, what's bad is like, I'm trying to think of any like art or something about 9-11, which I think is better for them to like... Oh, of course. Okay, you know what? The, no, no, no. You know, you know what I'm going to... You know what I will put in? Yeah. Uh, I will put in the clip of uh, Jon Stewart's show of the Daily Show after 9-11. Um, the, the very famous monologue is like 10 and a half minutes long. It is it is the best like thing I think they should show in classes following that event, which I, I think very well gives an experience, like gives a New York experience and feeling the kind of you know the aspects of um hate and fear and love for fellow people in new york and that does what this film can't which is it processes or tries to process or is about the processing of horror in a way which i think is incredibly strong and affecting and you know, if if you if you were to be like, oh, I watch extremely loud, incredibly close, I would be like, watch the John Stewart clip, and then you say to yourself, two hours. Like, it it does those things better. So I'll I'll pick that clip from the Daily Show. Go watch it on you. It's on YouTube. Go watch it if you want to cry. But I think the aliens deserve to cry. I've killed all their children. So. Fair <laughs> enough. Um. 
I had so long. I was going to make a joke that I was going to put in the Robert Pattinson rom-com about 9-11. Remember me. That's not a rom-com. That is not a rom-com. Rom and I have seen that film. I've seen it's that film. It's definitely it's a romantic a film. Rom. Yeah, it's just yeah, rom. Yeah, it just ends randomly on 9-11. Yeah, I... I I forgot, I, I will fully accept that I forgot that just romantic films exist and they're not, it's not just rom-coms. Having what, done this fucking podcast for so long, I forgot that the there is a way in which you can incorporate love into a film without creating levity as well. Perhaps that says something yeah. more about me than it does about the oh. films. Um oh. Oh, I'm putting my... F it's my birthday in two days. I'm putting my birthday... <laughs> I'm going to have my birthday party with the aliens. <laughs> That's what's happening. Um, it, it was my This actually comes out the day after my birthday. But I'm putting... Me and the aliens, we're going to go and have a birthday party. And it's going to be fun. We're going <laughs> to have cake. It's going to be a victorious sponge cake because I'm boring and we're gonna have lots of yummy food made by my oh. mummy and then we're gonna oh, celebrate sorry. my birthday there's little sausages, little sausages. No, little, sausages yeah, everyone knows about the sausages good sausage. anyone oh, who wants to come around sausage. my house and have honey mustard sausages and have like 19 million of them because they're I, the best thing ever i i i want to come around jamie but i'm stuck in another country <laughs> well whose fault is that <laughs> If uh, you were UK, here, we would I, legally I, be allowed I'm to sorry. visit a park together. I am sorry, Jamie, but if the UK had lower rates of infection, I could fly back for your birthday. But unfortunately, <laughs> the government dealt with it poorly, and I'm stuck here in BC. Uh, uh, all right, what, what can people do if they want? <laughs> yeah, it's just what I love is like before this before this episode began, you were like, I just want to get through this. Like, I just want to get through this. Like, it's a whole thing. Let's just do it quick. And instead, we just had to process our feelings on 9-11 for a really long time while I simultaneously insulted everyone possibly by accident. So to to uh, Jewish people, uh, oh people who are black, stop, people who please. are black, Jane Goody, just <laughs> everyone... Not as a joke, I genuinely am sorry. Know, but all you did was refer to a bunch of people who have the surname Black as the Blacks. There's, like, it sounds a bit I, bad, but there's nothing wrong with that, I, Alexander. I also, I also stereotyped uh, Jewelers of New York and Jewish people that happened to. There was a whole thing. No, and you know no, what your girlfriend did that. I did that too. I suggested it to her and she went, yeah, that's tracks. Um... <laughs> So I am sorry to everyone. This is a feelings episode. Sometimes we have like comedy episodes. And I think there have been some giggles. There have been some hoo-hoos and ha-has here. Uh, and sometimes they're like angry episodes. And this has just been a feelings episode. Okay. And it's like a lot. Well, well, next, what can people do, Jamie? What they can, can follow do? us on Twitter at HanksBankPod. They can follow us on Instagram at Hanks underscore Bank. They can follow us at Facebook. Just search Hanks Bank. They can tell their friends about us. Don't tell them to listen to this episode. Tell them to listen to what literally What do they do? Do, do. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jamie, we got them to listen to Larry Crown. Larry Crown did better in his first week than Toy Story 3. That's fucked up. All right, go back and <laughs> yeah, listen guys, to what the fuck's 3. wrong with you? Listen to Toy Story 3. Why are you, where are all the Larry Crown plans coming out of the fucking woodwork? Um, uh, we've seen uh, genuinely, it's uh, the fact that we tell people to download all of the episodes at once. We don't, I don't know if that someone doing that on their friend's phone but it is genuinely hilarious when we see a huge I, spike I and have, just have no, someone download every thing. single one of our episodes 
I, I have noticed that uh, Alyssa's mum, I think, because I, I can see where in America people are downloading. So unless she has other fans in Arizona, I think Alyssa's mum is downloading all of them. And as Alyssa and I have talked about, ooh, it's going to be real awkward when she gets the bits about the sex jokes. Um, oh, yay! Just like let's bring that six, running seven weeks joke straight back. Of let's, you and I come on, let's, let's have fun. Why can't Tom Hanks oh. fuck and or piss in a film again so I can use oh, my funny no, no. drop? I, I specifically mean the sex jokes about me and Alyssa. No, no, I know, um, I, I the, know, the, but the, I'm just saying we should get back to the fun jokes, like when we joked about you and well, Alyssa fucking, or when we the, joked the, about the, Tom the Hanks question, fucking. The question is, of does Tom Hanks fuck in this movie? The answer is obviously yes, he has a child. Uh, yes, but he does not fuck it, in this movie. Happens. Yes, no, oh, the, uh, I, the, I, would, I would like to say I'm too lazy to put yeah. the theme song in right now, but, you know, there's the theme song, which is, does Tom Hanks fuck? in this film uh and the question is not has tom hanks's character fucked in this film it is does he fuck okay. in this film what you're saying is we shouldn't put the incel meter in this podcast you know, is also, too long i would like to apologize i said she could get it in her film the it was respect you know, it looked hot, but that was you do you. The film itself does not age well. Do not rewatch the blind side. It's it's the 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 NCAA is the is is the villain in the film. No, not the NCAA. The NAACP. The NAACP. The NAACP. There you go. On the end. Oh, and on and on the NAACP from me, Jamie, and my co-host Al. That's one more F in the bank. I've got a list of people I'd like to apologize to. Let's start with no. the letter A. I would like to apologize to Alexander. That's me. I let me down. But. Hank's Bank.